0: Welcome to Anchor Daily, where we daily engage in God's word and prayer, reminding each other of the only anchor that truly holds. Hello friends, my name is Sam. I've been told I need to tell y'all what I do as part of the Bethel family, so uh, my title on staff is the production and IT director. And if you can figure out what all that means, then please let me know, as I'd be grateful for the clarity. (laughs) All right, today's reading is Philippians chapter 3, and the focus is on two questions. First, who is God? Second, what do I need from him? Now, in preparing to encourage you today, I looked back at a book by Chuck Swindoll. It's called Laugh Again. I'll be pulling a few references from it today, and I can honestly say that it has been a buoy for me during this season. So if you need a biblically-based push back toward joy and laughter, I would wholeheartedly recommend that book to you. Okay, today's reading. So the theme of Philippians is central in its passages, and it is captured well in chapter one, where Paul encourages the Philippians to walk in a manner worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on and he lays out Christ's example of humility, not grasping his godhood, but laying it aside and taking on an infinitely lesser station, being found in the form of a sinful man, and then submissively walking in his earthly ministry, which culminated in the humiliation of the cross then Paul shifts his focus to the example that Timothy and Epaphroditus have set forth in walking in that same Christ-like manner of self-sacrificial humility. Well, in today's passage, Paul examines his own life. But before he does, he reminds the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord, calling this a safeguard for them. A safeguard from what, you may ask? Well, amongst other things, it is a safeguard from what Paul outlines afterwards, which is legalism. Paul says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul is not talking about some domesticated lapdog here. He's talking about dangerous packs of disease-ridden scavengers that roamed the cities in back alleys, unable to be controlled. And Paul is saying, look out, the same vermin that ate Jezebel and didn't leave a scrap are looking at you. And the evil that they are doing is laying their own legalism on others. Swindoll says it this way. He says their message is full of exhortations to do more, to work harder, to witness longer, to pray with more intensity, because enough is never enough. I would add that when you never know how much is enough to satisfy God, you are left in a continual state of shame and obligation. Your mind never rests. The message of the legalists always finds you lacking. It never brings relief. Paul concludes his description of these people by calling them the false circumcision. The ESV calls them those who mutilate the flesh. To quote Chuck again, they actually taught that if circumcision was good, castration must be even better. (laughs) I mean, one must work exceptionally hard to be acceptable to God. And the result of all that is confidence in the flesh. You worked hard, you sacrificed more, you labored intensely, you received it. And in the process, you had every reason to be proud of it. You see, those in the legalistic camp have their answer to our questions. First, God is a legalist without pity. And second, while I may need a lot from him, I'm only going to receive what I have earned. So I am enslaved to a self-destructive standard of insatiable severity. Friends, this is heresy, and Paul knows it. So he states plainly in verse three, we, by contrast, are the true circumcision who worship the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Okay. But then Paul does something odd. He contradicts himself. Okay. Starting in verse four, though, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Also, if anyone thinks they have reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And then Paul shifts his uh, thoughts back to his original position. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. All right, now I feel I need to stop and go back and like draw out the ridiculous nature of what has just occurred. Okay, Paul started out calling the legalists that he was referring to, he called them dogs and evildoers, the false circumcision. And then he turned immediately around and stated how much better he was than they are. But a better what? I mean, a better dog? A better member of the false circumcision? In reading this passage and others that are like it, where Paul lists his pedigree, I have often found it joyful to look at this idea using a tool that Christ used in his Sermon on the Mount. That tool, of course, is hyperbole. Now, one might ask, if Paul were to have his words hyperbolized into a 21st century translation, what might they sound like? Well, I'm so glad you asked. I believe I have found no better reinterpretation of Paul's idea of legalism here than that of one of the world's greatest poets, namely Mr. Weird Al Yankovic. In his classic parody titled Amish Paradise, Mr. Yankovic brings to the forefront the true nature of what these dogs espouse in their theology, and it is now my pleasure to give you a small taste of this lyric. There's no time for sin and vice living in an Amish paradise. We don't fight, we all play nice, living in an Amish paradise, hitching up the buggy, churnin lots of butter, raised a barn on Monday, soon I'll raise another. think you're really righteous, think you're pure in heart. well, I know I'm a million times as humble as thou what? I'm the pious guy, the little omelets want to be like on my knees day and night scoring points for the afterlife. So don't be vain and don't be whiny or else my brother, I might have to get medieval on your hiney. <laughs> okay, I got to stop. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, I just have to say I grew up in church. <laughs> I I knew what the Bible taught even as a young lad of 10 or 11 years old, but it was made painfully obvious in hearing this song that self-righteous, self-aggrandizing thought patterns are just ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, And yet, if you're anything like me, you know we fall for this trap all the time. I mean, you might be saying, look, look at my loving sacrifice for everyone. I have followed the rules through this whole pandemic. or, Or maybe you're on the other side saying, I have become all things to all people that by any means some might be saved. (laughs) Golly, can we just take a moment together and say, Dang it, I'm so sorry, Lord. I forgot again that this isn't about me. No matter how hard I try to exemplify you, I am never going to be perfect. And I so desperately need you if I'm going to accomplish anything good. My friends, that is where Paul is going. He continues on in verse 9, saying, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the call for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. All right. Man, that is good. I mean, I I understand what Paul is saying here. He's saying that righteousness from God depends on faith. And I am in full agreement because I have excellent theology. Dang it. (laughs) No, but I want to point out the position that Paul is speaking from here because I, I believe that the position is the through line that he is using to drive his point home. And so that position is need. Do you see the stark dichotomy that's going on here between legalistic self-righteousness and the neediness of Paul's faith that is in no way dependent on any righteousness of its own? Rather, it is completely reliant on the righteousness of Christ, which was imputed to Paul after he met Christ because, perhaps for the first time, Paul had no choice but to acknowledge his depravity. And then the real miracle happened. Paul chose to trust that Christ is good for his word, to bring to completion the good work that he starts in each of us, who put our hope for salvation not at all on ourselves, but wholly in Christ. Friends, this is faith, and neediness is not always a bad thing. Those of you who are involved in Bethel's healing and recovery ministry will likely recognize this from Henry Cloud's book. It's called Changes That Heal. In it, Dr. Cloud starts with the foundation for all healthy interactions, which he says is the ability to form healthy attachments. Cloud then makes a bold claim. He states that we can only attach if we're willing to acknowledge our neediness. I mean, think of an infant. It has nothing but needs. And as time goes on and the infant regularly receives love in the form of food and cleanliness and so on that its caregiver is providing, it internalizes that love. And it can function with greater and greater autonomy until the child reaches maturity and then it can repeat the process to another. This is the position of need that has brought about the ability to choose to trust that God has everything in his hands. So we can take possession of salvation because it is free and Christ is offering it freely. We can live in righteousness because it is not about legalities, but rather an attitude of gratitude that the righteous Christ has placed his righteousness on his followers. And we can follow Christ in his sufferings because what Christ has given us cannot be taken or lost, no matter what difficulties this world may bring. And because our hope is only in Christ and not in ourselves, Paul concludes this thought by saying, only let us hold true to what we have, meaning present tense, as in already have attained. Because, of course, Christ has, once and for all, irrevocably attained reconciliation to God for every soul that believes in Christ alone for salvation. Paul has his answers. First, God is the merciful, just creator of all. And second, I need him to be the righteous person that I am not able to be so that I can obtain what I really need, which is him. Now, this leaves us in an awkward situation. If we have nothing to do with earning our salvation, then why not simply live however we please? Well, here too, we have a safeguard in rejoicing in the Lord. For gratefulness, or rejoicing, does not easily give way to contempt toward the one to whom we are grateful. Nevertheless, Paul knows there are those in this last camp who also have their answers, and they're found in verse 19. First, their God is their belly or their appetite, whatever they may be craving at that moment, and they glory in their shame because, second, their minds are set on earthly things. Now, friends, if you are a Christian, then you can say with me, our King is in heaven. He is Christ Jesus, the Son of God, and we are accountable to him in all things. If we are truly Christ's, then the freedom that he has brought us will drive us to him and to his will for us not from him. It is in this tension that Paul finishes today's passage in verse 20 and 21. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Wow, we've covered a lot of ground today. So how can we synthesize today's text? Or how can we kind of make it simple enough to meditate on and carry with us? Well, for that, I will leave you with the words of Joe Svoboda. We are free to try. We are free to fail. We are not free to not try. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for joining us today. Listen in tomorrow as we continue to encourage one another to be anchored, steadfast, and secure in Jesus.